Hello, welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we're back in the podcast studio. It's been a busy week in the podcast studio, and I'm excited to have another special guest with us here on the podcast coming to us. I said I should say two guests. It was supposed to be one guest, and then we got a, a good surprise. Uh, but I've got two very special guests coming to us all the way from the Pittsburgh area, about an hour and a half north of Pittsburgh. Julie and Joe Carroll, thank you for joining us here on the Project Purple Podcast on audio and also on video. Thank you. Nice to meet you again, Dino. Nice to meet you. Well. Uh, as I said, before we hit record, we're going to hand the mic over to you guys here in a second uh, to share your journey. Um, I always kind of tee it up a little bit and share with our audience how we connected. Um, you're currently fighting pancreatic cancer. We found you on social media. And I, I've said this many times, and not to sound like a broken record, but I've said this many times on the podcast. Social media can be a very toxic place right now. We won't go down that rabbit hole, but we have always tried to find the positive in it. And the one thing that I have to say over the four years, four plus years of this podcast is we have found so many amazing, wonderful people on social media willing to share their journeys, which I think is just so powerful. Um, you know, because you guys don't have to do this. Uh, you don't have to share what you're doing um, coming here on the podcast, but also in your own personal lives of, you know, social media and, and putting it out there for the public. And, you know, whether it's a news station, an organization, or a group like us asking you to come on to share your story is so powerful, but we wouldn't have that without social media. So I always try to look at the positives versus the negatives. So thank you guys for allowing us the opportunity and for putting your story out there on social media. Thank you for having us. <laughs> no, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's honestly my pleasure here. So with that, we're going to hand over the mic to you guys here. And, and as I said, before we hit record, um, you know, this is your opportunity to share with our guests, you know, who Julie Carroll is and, and what you've been going through and, and what brings you here today in terms of your journey with pancreatic cancer. So with that, the mic is yours, Julie and John. All right. Thank you. Hi, I'm Julie. Again, this is my husband, Joe. Um, I was diagnosed in January with stage four pancreatic cancer adocarcinoma. Um, it had metastasized to my liver and also I had tumors in my peritoneum. Let's rewind a little bit. <laughs> I had no idea, obviously, that this was going on, like so many people with pancreatic cancer, unfortunately. Um, about a year ago, we had taken a trip to New Orleans. Um, I had gotten a sandwich that didn't agree with me, I thought. And later on that night, I was, let's so to speak, giving it back. <laughs> it wasn't good. And we never thought anything of it after that. Um, summer came and went last year. And it was about September of 2021. I was complaining to Joe about me being so bloated. Like my stomach was just insanely bloated. It, it was like I was almost nine months pregnant. And I kept complaining about it, but I wasn't gaining any weight. Like I'm going to have to get a bigger pair of pants. I'm not gaining any weight. What in the world's going on? And, you know, I just thought, well, I'm 45 years old. I'm getting a little bit older. Maybe menopause is coming. I, you know, just trying to find some kind of reasoning behind everything. 
Then about October, November area, I started getting really bad back pain and really gut-wrenching pain in my abdomen. Again, not thinking the worst of anything. I, I'm like, I'll just make an appointment with my doctor here in a couple of weeks, see if it goes away. It could be, I was thinking maybe IBS, something like that. Um, and it came and went. So whenever I felt better, I'm like, oh, I don't need to go to the doctor. Um, one thing I did notice whenever all of this was going on, I'm going to get a little personal here. My, my habits in the bathroom had changed. About seven years ago, I had my gallbladder out and that changed. If you've ever had your gallbladder out, that really changes everything going on in there. Whenever this all started happening, my habits had changed dramatically. And that's really what prompted me to go to the doctor. It was the pain and then the, the change in my bowel habits. And whenever I went to the doctor, again, she was just kind of like, oh, maybe it's a, you know, a food allergy or IBS. We'll, we'll give you some scans and see what was going on. Well, then in January of this year, I had gone and fortunately enough, my husband Joe here was able to do my CT scans and we found out then that it was not IBS and it was not um, anything with food allergies. It was a very large tumor in my pancreas of the tail. Um, like I said, it went to my liver and uh, my peritoneum. Her symptoms were very mild and they were on and off. So she didn't, when it is like everybody else, when you get one little feeling, you don't run to the doctor. What prompted her to go was she had a, there was a two week period um, that's towards um, the middle of December and it got much worse very quickly. And that was, I said, you're going, you have to go. And she had tried, she had went to the doctor and she was to have a colonoscopy and it got rescheduled due to a lot of circumstances. And when she finally did go, she was definitely not, you know, absolutely not brushed off. They took it very seriously and they said, you need to go for a CAT scan now. So, you know, it, it was her going to the doctor, you know, on her own accord, of course, being prompted by her, by me to say, yeah, you've got to get this checked out. And that was when she ended up, you know, of course, everything, how it goes, you have to schedule things. So there was the, the little delays, but the, 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 the thing about it is that struck me from doing what I do was I've seen people very sick. I've seen people not so sick that have things like this and never in all the years that I've been doing this, did I think anything like this was going on with her, you know, it was, her symptoms were come and go so quickly and off and on, but it was until that persistent and it was a rapid change. Like she said, with her, her bowel habits, it was like flipping a switch. Yeah. yeah. And the, I guess the, with pancreatic cancer, it's usually the other way around. That switch is usually flipped the other way. You know, hers was the opposite, which was kind of strange. And that's when she went and found that we found the problem, obviously. Yeah. yeah. About how the, the doctors were asking me what my symptoms were. Um, if I was throwing up or if I had diarrhea, constipation, anything like that, to that matter, I never once threw up. I never once had any type of um, like upset stomach in that in that respect. Um, I had I still had my appetite. 
Um, and I, I still continue even, you know, I'm, I'm into my treatment, um, nine months into, or excuse me, nine treatments into it, um, six months into everything. And, um, I'm doing fairly well with it. The only problems I could really, I could really complain about is the, um, the cold sensations in the neuropathy, but that's, that's a drop in the bucket as to what others endure. I'm very fortunate in that respect. I, I want to take a pause here um, and go back because you mentioned something that was very interesting, at least for me, was that you said seven years ago you had your gallbladder removed. Yeah. And, and I'm not trying to play doctor here or second guess anything, but at that time, did they give you, were you having like gallstones or having attacks or was there another health issue going on that in hindsight, of course, is 2020, right? Like we can look back right. at these things, but what was the reason for that being removed back then? I was having attacks. I had no gallstones. Um, just every time I ate something, uh, fried foods or, or fatty foods, I would get uh, like a gallbladder attack and I had testing done and biliary <laughs> All right. So then now currently you get diagnosed, you're in treatment, you're nine, you're now nine cycles through. Yes. Um, and the chemotherapy that you're on, I believe you said prior to recording was Flufluronox. Yes. Yes. Um, I went seven treatments in with the full dosage of it. Um, again, really no issues, no side effects other than my platelets were low one time. So we had to opt and not do treatment that week. And that was pretty cool because we went to Aruba anyhow. <laughs> so I got some sun and, and, you know, had some downtime, come back and everything was looking much better with my um, platelets and whatnot. But then they did um, they did uh, reduce the dosage of some of the drugs just so my, my platelets would stay in check um, and not wear me out so much. Um, but but yeah, I, I just got my pump off yesterday. So I'm, I'm like really excited today. <laughs> so today's a good day, right? Usually like very the, good day, yeah. the first or second day after the chemo pump, uh, you have that good, you feel great and then it crashes pretty hard. Yeah, sometimes, um, mainly whenever my body tells me to nap, I ain't gonna fight it anymore. I'm old, so I'm just gonna nap. I, I have time to do other things. That's not a problem. I can nap for 20 minutes. Um, going back to, and this is a loaded question here, but I know you mentioned the gallbladder, any history of any other issues that, mm -hmm. and again, hindsight's always 2020. Right. I, I know it's, I don't know if you've gone down that road. I hope you haven't. I know some people do where they look back at like, oh man, I should have recognized this earlier. Nothing that well, you can speak to. Not, not really. I mean, we, we sat there and thought and racked our brains for everything possible. You know, what could we have done differently? Did we do something or did I do something that was, you know, wrong? And I'm sure everybody questions that. And then it's just to the point, does it even matter? We're yeah. here now. So we got to move forward instead of looking back at anything. Um, even my family has no history of cancer. We have a, bitter history of um, 
a heart disease than anything. And that's how I figured, you know, things were going to happen and, and go with me is, is my heart. <laughs> and here, my, my organs had a different, a different route to take, I guess, so to speak. Yeah. And, and when you were explaining like symptoms, so, I mean, it's, it's so crazy and thank you for doing that because I think, you know, it's powerful for our audience to hear because like you're saying, all right, so like super bloated, like my, you know, not to put anyone on the spot, but I know many females, like after they eat certain foods, right. they get bloated. Like I even get bloated uh, when I eat certain foods digestively. Right. I think any, anyone listening probably has that same problem. Right. Definitely, um, yeah. and, and, and then you look back and this is like the frustrating thing with this disease because we talk about early detection a lot. But then when you look at the signs and symptoms, like you were saying, like, yeah, you're having back pain and abdominal pain, but it would go away. And right. again, having your gallbladder out, I, I had my gallbladder out back mm -hmm. in 2000 and uh, late 2018, early 2019, I think, or late 2018. So I know what you're, when you said that, like how oh, that yeah. is, because like certain <laughs> foods just don't sit well anymore. Like I can't eat the way I used to eat back right. in 2018 today. So like, like to have those kind of, I wouldn't say uh, like the aches and pains that come and go, like you don't mm -hmm. think anything of it, no. but when your GI and your bowel movements change, and when you said like the doctor said, well, it's like IBS, like that really mm -hmm. enrages me because I, I feel, you know, this is kind of where, okay, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about us here for a second, like us as an awareness group. We have to work with these clinicians to be better, um, yeah. to recognize these signs and to to maybe have a checklist, like rule out, okay, IBS, yes, but maybe maybe there is an indication with pancreatic cancer. And I've had many people on the podcast. I just had a lady from the UK um, who is rolling out a, a campaign. She had a very similar situation where her poo, as she called it, because that's what they call it in the UK, uh, was not right. And so she was calling it poo in the loo, like, you know, know your poo in the loo, yeah. um, you know, and, and that's kind of an indicator of maybe what's going on, or it should be an indication of, again, right. having this checklist. Is it IBS? Is it pancreatic cancer? Is it something else? You know, is it, right. is it colon cancer or is it something going yeah. on in the colon? And, um, you know, just remembering there's been quite a few uh, guests that we've had that got diagnosed that way because of those bowel symptoms. So it's, it, wow. I appreciate you. I know it's not easy to talk about that. You know, no one wants to talk about their GI, <laughs> well, right? Everybody does it though. So <laughs> every, yeah, but see, th this is the crazy thing. Like, I know we're laughing here, but like we all do it, right? Like everyone mm -hmm. has those movements, whether, yeah. whether you want to admit it or not, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't care, but how critical this is to like understanding your body, right. like something's not right. Like, right. so if you realize, so, you know, th this is all on, you know, compliments to you guys and kudos to you guys for realizing like, Hey, this is not right. And you have to continue to advocate for yourself, which frustrates me yeah. because as an awareness group, like the ex experts should be better. Like the system, the no. system should be better to pick that stuff earlier on or to have that checklist. Maybe that's what we need to do is we need to advocate to 
GPs to have a checklist. Like if someone comes in with crazy bowel movements or they know something's not going right. on right with their GI tract, like here's your checklist, IBS, pancreatic cancer, colon issues, diverticulitis, yep. uh, dietary, you know, uh, gluten, um, celiac disease, possibly, you know, anything yeah. that impacts the bowel tract yeah. that causes these GI issues. This should be like the standard of care where you have a checklist and you check them all off or you go through this, the, the, the testing, and I know we don't have early detection, but you got to kind of have to rule everything out. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Cause that, that's, I, you know, for our audience listening and watching, that is so critical to hear that. And, and again, we all do it, but I don't think anyone wants to talk about right. it. Oh no. And I agree. I, whenever I first got diagnosed, I laid in bed every night for, I bet you almost two months. Um, I, I told all of our family and friends and everything, but, you know, we live in a world of social media. We had talked about that before, you know, we had record and, and it's always a, a downer to read things on social media. But I sat there for two months in bed, laying awake, thinking nobody ever talks about it. Nobody ever comes out and says, because they don't want to be that person that says, I have cancer. You know what? It's okay. It, it's okay to come out and, and say that. And, there's other people out there that will then reach out to you and say, you know, I had cancer too. And that's what happened to, to me whenever I come out and said it on, on Facebook and just, you know, just kind of told my journey in a huge paragraph. <laughs> um, I had people reaching out to me that I've known since I was little that I did not know that they had cancer and maybe breast cancer, um, melanoma, things that had effect. And I'm like sitting here thinking, why doesn't anybody ever talk about this? It's nothing to be ashamed about. It's it's like you had said, we need to raise awareness to to this. We need to scream it from the mountaintops. Um, there's there's more out there than than what anybody is aware of after you've stepped into the world of cancer or of any any unfortunately medical medical thing. I'm rambling, but because I'm very passionate about it. <laughs> I'm very I am very passionate about um, raising awareness and, and getting it out there and, and having people take care of themselves, be their own advocate, listen to their own body, um, and stand up. And, and if something was not right, go and get a second, third, fourth opinion. Um, step out of your comfort zone and say something. Do you think, Julie, and so this is the question, and this is a loaded question. I have a lot of loaded questions, by the way, which I'll say. <laughs> Do you think that's something that or let me let me phrase it this way was there a point in this journey that you realized that as you said you were sitting in bed um or was this something that you can look back at another experience that said hey this is why i have to be like this going into this <laughs> i mean bring that up you know <laughs> um we had a son who was born with a heart condition um called tetralogy of fallow and Whenever I gave birth, I did not know anything was wrong um, up until about, what, eight hours after Aiden was born. And we were rushed down to Pittsburgh um, Children's Hospital and found out that he had this this heart issue. And like I said, a door of, of unopportunity, I don't know what I want to say, opened up to us. Yeah, it's a new world opened up to us. And um, we learned a lot about 
different things that you don't want to know about of, of, of you. I'm, I'm, I'm rambling again. You, you learn what you're able to take and what you're able to stand up for and, and, oh no, help me out. <laughs> Sorry, I'm asking if you can hear me. Um, okay, it was a very public um, ordeal. We were, he was in, Aiden was in six, six months in children's and never left the, uh, the cardiac intensive care unit. And so we spent six months there. We never got to bring him home. Um, he had a lot of complications post-op. Uh, the, the surgery, he was, his, sur his tetralogy was very severe. Plus he had some other issues with uh, pulmonary hypertension after his first open heart. So he had subsequently had two other open hearts um, and then it developed uh, chylothorax, I guess is in essence pockets of fluid in his lungs. So that did not go well. But on that journey, um, we were very public. We did daily, daily posts to, at the time it was care pages. Um, blogs, blogs were new, you know, that was, this was back in, you know, uh, 2008. And so we were very public with people. We wanted people to know what we were going through because I will not lie. Um, that's not my specialty. Um, children, children, you know, pediatric care is not something we do a lot where I work. So when we were told he had tetralogy of flow, neither one of us had ever heard of it. We did not know anything. I had, I had no ever heard of it. So when we started going through this, we went through this sort of with everyone and it became very popular for us to do, you know, people would say, Hey, you didn't post today. What's going on? Where's your, where's your, where's your update? And it was a nice way to connect with people. And like she's saying with this, that experience, when, when this came about, the first discussion we had was, how public are we going to be with this? Can we go through this? Do we have the strength to do that again, where everyone knows everything? And in short, the answer was yes and no. Um, there are things that we know now after that experience. There are things that people need to keep to themselves, um, but they're not because of uh, not wanting to share information, because a lot of people jump to conclusions. When you say stage four metastatic pancreatic disease, I don't know how many of the listeners have experienced this or their significant others. The look on people's faces when you tell them that, um, to be blunt, they put you, they almost put her in the ground because they, they, they heard so many times the, the stigma that pancreatic cancer has is that it's that it's a death sentence and that's not the way we want to look at it and it's the way it should it should not be looked at that it, it should not be looked at in that way or in that light so julie and i i know her mainly her driving thing was to not be that way to not let people think that and it was i guess that's her and I have talked about this at length. It's not me speaking for her. This is, this is her and me putting it in words, I guess. Yeah. We didn't want to share every little detail because people don't need to know every little detail. However, the people going through this, it's important for there to be a platform where they can share the experience, like you said, right down to the, to the, the boo. Um, <laughs> that's important for the people going through it. For me, I'm important for me to deal with with Julie. 
for Joy, it's important for her to hear from other people because those little changes that they see that she might be able to relate to are not things that I talk about because for me, a little change here and there is nothing. For someone with pancreatic cancer that's on treatment, it is a big deal. It, it can mean a, it can mean a, the difference of do I go to the doctor today or don't I call the doctor, you know? So that experience helped us to have a better grasp of how to handle this situation and the who needs to know what, I guess. <laughs> well, well, what you guys, I, I, you know, what Joe just said for Julie and Joe there <laughs> was so powerful. Um, and I, I just want to sit on this topic for a second or for as long as we we want, I should say. Joe, you said something overcoming the stigma of when someone says I'm stage four and people look at that person go, or they say, oh my, right? Or oh God, oh, yeah. right? But, and we've had this talk recently, the survivor rate's 11%. That's not zero. And I, I feel, and, and the discussion came up recently where doctors and I, and now I'll bring it back to my own personal experience with my dad. Like I remember my dad when he was uh, re-diagnosed because originally he was staged like 2A, had the Whipple and then six months chemo, three months, no evidence of disease and then stage four back. Mm. And at the time the doctor said, what do you want to do? You have X amount of time. And I was thinking back, I look back and I'm like, and I'm not trying to beat up on doctors here because the public, the general public does this. What's to say that you're not part of that 11%, exactly. right? Like, exactly. And, 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 and I feel as, again, as a, bringing it back to us, like an awareness group, like, I think we do a really poor job as a whole. And I'm not, and I'm speaking, I'll speak for everyone in this space, in the world, all the pancreatic cancer groups as well. And I know we, we have to try to raise awareness, right? So we use that statistic of like, the 11%, you know, that it is, and it is, and I'm not trying to sugarcoat anything. Like you guys are fighting it. You know this, right? You, But you know, but there's nothing out there that says you can't be part of that 11%. Like there's no acceptance, right? So uh, like, how are you guys then, if you guys can or want to, how do you, how do you over, like, what are some of the things to share with the audience that how you overcome that stigma? Whenever I was told that I was stage four, I thought the worst of the worst because no one ever told us what the different stages in cancer were. I had to Google it. I didn't know any of that. Well, then whenever I was explaining it to my family about, you know, on stage four, they, they looked at me like, oh my gosh, how much time do you have left? And I'm like, well, I didn't ask that. I'm not going to ask that. There's only one person who knows that or one being who knows that. And he's up there and he's not going to give me that answer, even if I do ask him. So I, you know, I explained to them just because I'm stage four, it just means it's just not in one location. And that kind of changed their, their idea of, of things. Um, because I was fortunate enough to be rescanned about a month and a half ago, um, yeah, my, my standard three-month rescan, it showed that the chemo was working. Um, my my tumors had shrunk in my peritoneum, and the, the liver met was pretty well less visible. Less visible. The, um, the tumor in my pancreas had shrunk also. So, obviously, I'm like, 
ecstatic. This is awesome. This is working. And that, again, go out to social media and say, just because I'm stage four doesn't mean that the chemo, that's why you're going on chemo. That's why you fight. You get it to be, you know, no evidence of disease. It's going to take some time, but it didn't show up overnight. It's not going to go away overnight. You got to be strong. You got to continue to just, if you're feeling down, you got to flip it around and, and realize that you're still here. There's still some fight in there and light that flame back up. It's so powerful what you just said, uh, Julie, because, and when you said it, I was like, wow. Like, I, I, you know, to hear you say that when you said stage four just means that it's not in, there's not just one tumor. Right. And it, mm-hmm. and if you, if we think about that, it's such a simple response, but it also like in my mind, and I've been doing this 12 years. I'm like, damn, man, that's, you're right. Like, that's yeah. how you look at it. And that doesn't mean the other thing, right? That, that, right. that, so like if we, and, and I guess my point here is if we all take this mind shift and how we look at things and shift it and you take out what the other side is saying and you focus your attention there, it's wild. Like what that can happen in your mind and how you look at that and how you feel. Like I, when you said that, I was like, wow, that's all. Like I had this, like, you know, like, this is good. <laughs> right. Like yeah. You, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm Joe has been my, my rock during all of this whenever i got down and and you know negativity of course hit you you you're slammed upside the face with a diagnosis of cancer and a very deadly cancer and a very aggressive cancer so he's sitting there saying yes we know that it is but you know what let's move forward what can we do to make it not as aggressive not as deadly. Like you said, 11%. I remember telling the doctors, remember my face and remember my name because I will be in one of your medical journals and beat it. And I think I they, they, they didn't with me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. I've never heard that, um, but I love that. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share that uh, with many people. Remember my face. Yep. I, I, I love that. I love it. That's awesome. I want to, I get a couple of questions here. You mentioned Joe a lot. What has it uh, been, you know, and you mentioned your family, but is there, there are things, and, and I'll preface this. We get this question a lot when people get diagnosed, neighbors, family members, what's the best thing that I can do for this person that just got diagnosed? So I always like asking the person going through it. What are some of the things that, whether it's Joe, friends, family, that have done for you during this time that have really meant the world to you or really you made know, a difference? Um, whenever I was first diagnosed, I, I told him, I said, we're going to Nashville. <laughs> I always wanted to go to Nashville and a group of friends were going um, to begin with, so I'm like, we're going. And whenever that happened, then more people got on board and more and more people. And it was awesome just to see that people 
maybe didn't necessarily want to be around just me, but they wanted to go and celebrate going somewhere and, and celebrating life. And again, I had mentioned we went to then Aruba because um, I always wanted to see Aruba. It was on my, I don't call it a bucket list anymore. I call it a dream list. So it was on my dream list to go to Aruba. And when we first got there, um, some of the locals had asked us, you know, what brings you to the island? And my answer without even thinking, I'm going to get choked up. I'm sorry. Um, what the life, life brought us here. And for people to, to be around me and show me that there is still living to do as opposed to, oh my gosh, you have cancer. You're dying. That's no, I want to see. I have cancer and I'm still alive. I want you to celebrate that with me. And that, that to me means the world. Don't, don't look at us like we're dying because honestly, we're all dying. Unfortunately, some before others, but again, nobody, nobody can tell you that. Nobody can give you your number when you're up. So celebrate every day, every hour, every week as though you're celebrating life, not celebrating before death. So powerful to hear you say that, Julie. Um, I had something written down here because you mentioned, and this is just me listening, but you mentioned being in New Orleans, being in Nashville, being in Aruba in like less than a year. And, you know, we've had this, we haven't even talked about the pandemic, you know, where we were told not to travel. Um uh, but you guys have have lived and 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 I I, I have it written here. I, I put living life, traveling. Yeah. Uh, I I commend you guys for doing that. Um, and you know, I know I I asked the question before overcoming the stigma. It wasn't said, but I think the one thing here that I've noticed in this short period of time. I mean, we've been recording almost forty minutes here. Is that you're living life like yes. this cancer diagnosis, like you're traveling. I mean, I, yes. you know, I know, and there's no, I'm not trying to put people to shame here um, yes. because I know some people, whether it's, you know, physically or, you know, wh whatever their bias is or whatever they believe or whatever someone's telling them, um, you know, don't do those things. Um, but man, you're living. Yes. I, I did. I'm not letting it get me down as much as I I don't, you know, as much as I can not let it get me down. I, I, we've always been travelers to begin with. And you go back to the pandemic, that kind of put a big, put a big, uh, a bench to everything. I'm a traveler by default. <laughs> I'm a traveler because she's a traveler. So I am, I am, I have been convinced to go on a number of these trips because of her and in hindsight, you know, it was always me saying, no, we can't afford that. We have to do this. We need this done. We got to do this. And I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to take off work. And she's, you're going. And there were times when I didn't go and she went with the girls and it's yeah, fine. That's good. Go. Yeah. And uh, she, in hindsight, you know, we're, we're very fortunate that we get to do those things. We understand that not everyone has that opportunity. Um, and we have made a lot of these things happen with the help of others. And we're very fortunate that we get to do those things. I'm very fortunate that she drugged me on all of those trips <laughs> because looking back, um, I've had this, this, this discussion last night 
with uh, someone or yesterday, I said, a lot of people plan for retirement. You know, you're the big thing now of everything with the, the economy, your 401k and, you know, and you set up for retirement to live life after you retire. The best piece of advice after she drug me on all these trips, don't forget to live life on your way to retirement. <laughs> don't just plan on that because things can change very quickly and you will, you don't want to spend your time looking back saying, I really wish I would have. So now I don't have to say that because she forced me to go on all of those trips. I can say, yes, I had a wonderful time on all of those trips with her. And I was very fortunate to get to experience all of those things along with her, even though some of them were in duress. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, my next question here for you, Julie, and I know you mentioned, you know, you're in your ninth treatment. So, Given the the time of treatments you've had, and you said, "Hey, you've got a little bit of neuropathy," um, but is there anything? And then this is a loaded question, as well. Is there anything that you can kind of look to that said, "Hey, this has kind of really worked for me during this time"? Meditation, yoga, reading, CBD, anything. Tylenol. <laughs> Tylenol. <laughs> Tylenol's been your friend. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would meditate some. Um, I'm not a big reader other than Facebook, <laughs> I have to say. Um, so, you know, just sitting and, and laying there with your eyes closed and just, you know, being one with yourself and feeling every everything in your body and, and a prayer, <laughs> a lot of prayer. We, we, we've prayed, I think he's might be getting tired hearing a lot of stuff there. I hope not, because uh, we got a lot of, of prayers sent from us and a lot from from family, friends, people who don't know us. God bless them. That's what's helped get us to where we're at, and I'm sure we'll get us to the end. Powerful. Next question, someone listening to this podcast that maybe just has a similar diagnosis. Maybe they just got it yesterday. They may get it tomorrow when this airs or whenever this episode airs the next day. Is there a couple things or one piece of advice that you would give that person? And what would that be? I, I giggle because this was one of the things that nobody told me and I wish they would have. Fill out your calendar in pencil because it's going to change every week <laughs> and be okay with that. Um, that was one of the biggest things that I had issues with. I have a very type A personality and my poor calendar has lines all through it. Um, that one time I wasn't allowed to have treatment because my numbers were low, it just sent me into to the nobody told me that it, well i shouldn't say that a lot of people told me that it was going to be okay but i didn't believe them you know my world was falling around me i had cancer i i just missed a treatment what, what's going to happen next and and it all did work out it all works out um but yeah pencil in the calendar <laughs> not pen not marker <laughs> I, I love that and you know <laughs> we're like 200 plus episodes in i i don't even have a count but 
the amount of survivors we've had, no one's ever mentioned that. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. So I like that is such, but that is so on point though. And it, it comes full circle, which we'll get to in a second. Um, my last question, and, and this is a loaded question. There is no right or wrong to your answer to this. How do you, given your experience, what you've gone through, how do you define the word pancreatic cancer? It's funny you say that because I've been listening to your podcast and I knew you were going to ask me. And it was Liam Holt that I just listened to yesterday. And I believe he said it best. He said, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. That hit home like, oh my gosh, it, it's not a death sentence. I know what pancreatic cancer is not. It is not a death sentence. It is not the end of the world. It's a game changer. It is a, I, I, I don't want to portray this the wrong way, but it, it, it kind of helped open up my eyes to a lot of things that you, you never saw before because you didn't need to, you know, um, prayer, God, family, friends, we all have them. We all um, rely on um, some form of each other. But when you get that diagnosis, you open up your world to a lot of other things and realize there's a lot of vibrant colors out there. It's not all black and white. Um, it's not all highs and lows. There's some in the middle. Um, yeah. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, I, said, I could go on and on. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, hearing you say that, Julie, I, I you know, and, and, and I'm going to sum this up, as I said, to go back to what you said in advice. Your first stories and then listening to everything. And so it's, it's kind of a unique position that I sit in as uh, the interviewer, I guess, right? And asking you guys these questions. And as I've said many times, I don't know if our audience has probably ever heard this, but I don't have a script. And I know before we hit record, I said, hey, I don't have a script. I, I you know, we hand it off to the guest, whatever you say. Like, and yeah, the Define PC, okay, the cat's out of the bag. That's always going to be the last question. Uh, 90, 90% of the time, uh, depending on the guest. And there are a couple other questions that we've asked before on the podcast. But as the interviewer, and doing this multiple times, you know, I, I tend to see kind of there's like an arc where people's lives are and where, where they've you know, come from what they've done and, and, and how you guys, both you and Joe have said many things here, but I come back to this, this most powerful thing I think was like, you guys both said this, like overcoming the stigma, mm -hmm. right? And the words that you guys have chosen, the stories you guys have shared with our audience here, all kind of points back to that. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, the, the unfortunate circumstance that happened with your son. And how that prepared you here for this journey. And then the things that you've mentioned, just like the advice, like write it in pencil. Well, why? Because things change all the time. But that's how we overcome this stigma, right? Yep. And the traveling of, of living life. And, and then to define pancreatic cancer the way you did is so powerful. So, uh, you know, 
I just want to say this has been awesome. Um, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and Joe, to talk about your journey, to share it with our audience and with the public, both here on video and on audio and our podcast. Um, this has been awesome. I mean, we've been talking for almost 50 minutes here, which seems like, you know, we've been talking for three hours, uh, but I have truly enjoyed this conversation about your journey. And I really appreciate both you guys being so upfront and honest with our audience, because these are the stories that we need to harness and we need to bring to the table and we need to let people know that it's okay. It's okay yeah. to, and, and what you guys are doing is so powerful in overcoming the stigma of this disease. So thank you for being our guest today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So last thing, if our audience, I hope they take me up on this when I say this and take you up on it. If our audience wants to connect with you, maybe there's someone out there that just got diagnosed, maybe their mom, their dad, their sibling, someone in their family, and they want to connect and they want to talk to you guys further about your journey. Where's the best place for them to do that? Uh, they can email me. What's that email? Let's give it, it to them. It is J E W E L Z Z. PA1 at yahoo.com. Like, did you get that? We we got it. We got it. My my cat fingers. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, Julie and Joe, it's been a pleasure to have you on the Project Purple podcast. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple podcast. If you like what you hear today, feel free to share this episode. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on our YouTube channel. Until next time, please be safe. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.